This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Hello, this is your host, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist in the Maryland area, and this is On the Fence Physio. This is a brief fence post. I had a question given me today uh, from a patient, and it made me start to think about narratives. Frequently in physical therapy and in many healthcare services um, that interact with people, real people, patient narratives or being able to explain experiences with storytelling is a big part of how we can build our therapeutic alliance with patients. Um, best way to get understanding for patients to buy into different uh, programs, regimes, um, treatment methods, right? As we create these narratives that patients can then put themselves in and see themselves getting better and have a better understanding of what those treatments are. And it's a, it's a very humanizing experience, I think, narratives are. Um, recently, um, with this entire global health crisis we have going on and the other sub-pandemics that are happening underneath it with uh, decreased activity levels, increased obesity, increased drug and alcohol use, increased depression, increased suicide rate, all these other side effects, I guess, of this primary COVID-19 pandemic that are going on. I am having more and more patients that I am concerned that the grief and the stressors of losing friends and family members has limited their progress in physical therapy and how much these emotional and mental stressors can affect their physical pain. There are a subset of patients that if you were to say, hey, do you feel like your grief or your sadness or your depression or your anxiety are affecting your low back pain or your neck pain or whatever pain you're having. I think a certain subset of patients would be like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it does. And when I'm more sad or when I'm more stressed, the pain is worse. And uh, I, can't, I can't always control that. What are some good coping strategies for me in order to make that better? Yeah, there's patients that already have 100% buy-in before you do anything. And there probably are some patients out there, no matter what you tell them, no matter what stories you tell or research you present or quaint metaphors you come up with, none of them are going to believe that any of the pains that they feel that they are experiencing physically can have anything to do with their mental or emotional state. I'm not concerned with these two groups. These two groups are going to be the way they're going to be. What I'm concerned with is what about the groups that have a little bit of doubt? They have a little bit of disbelief that physical pain can be caused 
or at least modulated or increased in some way. Let's you know be very vague with our language here so that nobody says that I'm being too uh, black and white. But that these mental and emotional states can in some way change their pain experience for the worse, right? They doubt that, that that can happen. But they would be open to changing their mind if we came up with the right narrative. Personally, I have two that I go with. Um, I like to give specific examples on this podcast because I find that talking generally about things is something that a lot of general podcasts generally do. And I'd rather be a little bit more specific. So my two that I tend to use, uh, one is citing a study. Um, I have not read the primary research myself, to be honest, but for patient's sake, I breeze over that point and talk about a study that I read or was reading about that was mentioned in the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson, who um, the author was trying to figure out what are the limiters to physical um, performances, um, whether it be running or swimming or under or diving, you know, he looks at a couple different physical activities, but what are the things that limit humans from doing these things for longer? And uh, it's a very interesting read. I'm not going to spoil the ending for anybody. So if you'd like to go out there and read it, please do. But one of the uh, studies he talks about was they took um, a couple of a group of professional cyclists had them performing a max out cycle test, right? So from a patient's dying, they're trying to get them to pedal that bike as hard and as fast as they can for as long as they can. They had a big money prize for whoever went the farthest and the hardest. So there was a lot of incentive for these uh, subjects to do really well. Now, the only difference between the two groups is that one group had a screen in front of them that was flashing a happy, a smiling human face at such a fast rate you can't consciously perceive that it's there, but that supposedly our subconscious can perceive that it's there. And the other group had a frowning face. And the group that was pedaling with the frowning face in front of them quit on average 20% sooner than the smiling face group. And I tell my patients that, and you know, this is a pretty clear cut example of that, not only just your emotional state, but maybe even the emotional state of people around you can affect your physical performance or how well you can do on a physical activity. And for that, for some patients, some subset of patients, that story works and they go, oh, okay, well, if you know that works with you know professional cyclists, if emotions can affect their physical performance, maybe it can explain why some days when I'm feeling a little bit more stressed, I have a little bit more pain. Maybe that narrative works and it allows them to buy into the fact that mental and emotional health are important, are valid in their recovery from whatever surgery or injury they had and maybe makes them more accepting of seeking out those mental and emotional health care services, which I don't provide um, in any formal way whatsoever. But I do recommend patients to get if I feel like it would provide additional benefit. Now, the other story I use sometimes works because it's a little bit more personal. And this is a true story. I didn't create this just for the narrative. I mean, there are some stories I do create just for the narrative, but this one is real. Um, myself personally, I had a bout of patellar tendon pain, right? So I had this very point specific pain right on the inferior pole of my patella. Um, I could touch it and when I touched it, it hurt. Um, 
when I ran, it especially hurt. And that was the activity that was limiting me in the most. And when I'd go out for longer runs, I could go for a little while, then it would start to hurt and just hurt and hurt and get even more painful and more miserable. And I would feel slower and slower. This went on for about three months. I told myself, hey, I'm a physical therapist. I know about patellar tendon pain. I know how to treat patellar tendon pain. So I did all the things that I would normally tell a patient to do. You know, I rested it, you know, did some relative rest for it. I iced it down when I was getting hot and bothered. I um, did my heavy eccentrics, you know, I looked at surrounding musculature and I did some strengthening things of surrounding musculature. Like I did all the things that I would throw at a patient. None of it really seemed to help. Um, I had signed up for a 8K race, which is a bit of an odd distance, but about five miles. And it was coming up and it was uh, gonna be on a Saturday night and it was a Friday. And I decided to go out for a run just to kind of see how I do five miles. And it hurt the whole time. My knee felt terrible, just about the entire length of that training run. And I was hitting around a 7.30, 7.35 pace, which was uh, markedly slower than what I typically ran. And uh, I just said, okay, well, I'm gonna try to, I've already paid for this race, I'm just gonna try to bear with it, you know, but I'm gonna spend all day Saturday focusing on my knee. I'm going to rest it, I am going to ice it, I am going to pamper it, make sure I eat the right things, I'm gonna make sure I drink the right things, I'm going to make sure I'm as ready to go for this Saturday night race as I can possibly be. Instead, on Friday evening after that run, I got an email from the dog shelter that I had an application with, and the dog that I had applied for was ready to be picked up, and I could come get her Saturday morning. So instead of doing any of those things for me, Saturday morning I drove out um, to the dog shelter, picked up the dog, and I hung out with that dog all day long. Um, we cuddled on the couch, we went for walks, uh, we uh, tried out different dog beds, got her acclimated with the house, with the neighborhood, um, spent my entire day just kind of pampering this dog and getting her settled in. And when it came time for me to go to the race, I was like, oh shoot, time to go. So I went to the race, got my bib on, went out to the starting line, and I ran probably one of the best races I've ever run in my life. I ran the entire 8K, um, without any pain whatsoever. I was hitting around 625, 630 splits, a full minute faster than the day before, and competed very well for my age group. Felt really good about it. And it was pouring rain the whole time too. It was not ideal conditions. And I finished that race going, huh, my knee's all better. And there's a part of me that kind of went back and realized that that three months of knee pain that had been going on was about the same amount of time it had been since my previous rescue dog had died. And that maybe, just maybe, just as a thought, you know, and this is where I leave it up to my patients to decide, is that the period of me not having a dog and the period of me getting a dog um, changed my pain. And was that the only factor? No, I mean, I was obviously doing a lot of other things for my knee and maybe finally all of it all clicked, but to have that change, that sudden change from just one day to the next doing the exact same activity and really the only thing that changed in my status was a bit of uh, happiness and joy having a new dog. Maybe, just maybe, 
um, mental and emotional states can affect physical performance, even in somebody um, that is a physical therapist and thinks about things from a musculoskeletal standpoint quite often. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts, your guys' stories. I would love to hear what are some narratives that maybe work, maybe some narratives that don't work, maybe some narratives that you use. Because I think sharing these stories are ways that we can help patients. Um, and that's what we're really here for on Fence Physio is we just want to find what are some of the ways that other people um, can get the job done and help people get back to doing the activities they love and care about because it's not always black and white. You can't be on one side of the fence or the other. Sometimes you have to be able to use everything in your knowledge base and everything in uh, your friends' knowledge bases too. So thank you very much for listening to this bit of a rambling fence post. But again, we appreciate your listenership and please participate with us on Twitter at OTF Physio. Have a good day.